0: SV Pod is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Welcome to SV Pod. Stanford Steve alongside Jesse Washington of The Undefeated is our guest. John Thompson wrote his autobiography, I Came as a Shadow. Jesse Washington assisted in that process. He came by SportsCenter a couple of months ago, and I said, you know, this is a podcast conversation, and now it will be, and we will follow that with our conversation with Patrick Ewing, who remarkably helped lead Georgetown to the NCAA tournament? Four games, four days, a bunch of upsets along the way, and they stormed their way into the tournament, winning the Big East title in Madison Square Garden. So, plenty of links from Patrick to John Thompson, and our conversation with Jesse Washington is on the way. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game winning shot live and in person. And the best part, Each transaction is a step towards a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code SVP. That's code SVP. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Also, be sure to check out Stanford Steve and the Bear podcast. The boys are back for the next three weeks talking NCAA tournament rate review. Follow Stanford Steve and the Bear along with SV Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And action. It's our pleasure to welcome Jesse Washington into SV Pod. Our conversation on SportsCenter about the autobiography John Thompson penned. I came as a shadow along with Jesse Washington was something that when we had that conversation back several months ago, Jesse, I said this lends itself to To some, to some wiggle room, right? Absolutely. To a little bit, to, to a wider berth, to 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 have some conversation. Television, that real estate gets away quickly. So I'm grateful that you were uh, willing to come back on and, and uh, continue the chat.
1: Absolutely, man. No, it's great to be here. And you're right, man. Big John can't be contained in a five minute segment. No <laughs> so, hell no. Uh, Let's and, get and, it.
0: Yeah, uh, for real. And I, I'm a, am- I'm amazed. At the way things work themselves out, because you and I continued the, the chat via text for several months, and we were trying to fic- pick the right time. And we thought that the tournament made sense. And in the interim, I should say, just as an aside, you visited with Pablo Torre, among others. I would encourage folks to spend time. Pablo is brilliant in this space. And your conversation with him was equally as interesting. And you delve into lots of the topics, some of which we'll get into, but some of which I I won't attempt to cover because I won't do them as well. But in the interim, Georgetown makes the tournament. And Patrick Ewing, on the 49th anniversary of the hiring of John Thompson, which I did not know, but Patrick shared with me when he was on SportsCenter with us, he wins his fourth game in as many days in the garden, and they make it to the tournament, which is astounding for a lot of different reasons. And I just want to know, Jesse, if you were to characterize what Patrick Ewing singularly meant to John Thompson, how would you start?
1: Oh, man, it's I would start with what he said in the book near the end of the Villanova chapter where they lost, you know, Mm -hmm. a title that they should have won. And he spoke about Patrick with so much reverence would not be the wrong word to use. And this is coach Thompson talking about his player. And most of what he talked about was what kind of guy he was, how humble he was. He said, Patrick had the most leverage over me of any player I ever had. And he used it the least, you know, what wow. a good kid he was. If, if you said show up at eight, he'd show up at seven forty-five. And then he said this, which really was very distinctive in his John Thompson method of speaking. He said, Patrick is the greatest player ever at Georgetown. I know that for a fact. That's my sincere belief based on the way he played the character he displayed and what he did for the program. But, if another kid came along who I thought was better than Patrick, I would lie. And I would still say Patrick is the best because that's how much I love him. <laughs> wow. How much, how much
0: would be fair to say, Jesse, he saw in of himself in Patrick? A, 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 an enormous... Black man who encountered the worst of what the world can throw at you in terms of judging, in terms of racism, in terms of just ugly obstacles that Patrick still overcome, overcame and continues to overcome with such grace, man. Um, I just wonder if if that's a fair way to frame it, that he that he saw some of the same struggles that, that
1: Patrick would have to endure. You know, I asked him exactly that when we were writing the book. Did you identify with Patrick that you know he's he's a big guy, he's a center, he's on your team and coach didn't really want to go down that route. Now he okay. may have and just didn't want to really reveal that because coach, you know, he was still very strategic and <laughs> all maybe he didn't want to put that on Patrick, but he, what he saw in Patrick was intelligence and that was coach Thompson's most valued commodity in a human being. He saw intelligence, he saw it overlooked and assumed to be absent in Patrick. And he resented that the same way it was for him. And so Coach Thompson is the reason why he had to convince Patrick to get that job. Mm. He was like, Patrick, you can have that job. You should, you need to take this job. Patrick was like, oh, I should keep going in the NBA and this. And it probably would not be an exaggeration to say he made him do it. Mm. You know, he <laughs> believed in him and saw something in Coach Ewing that, that maybe... Coach Ewing didn't see him himself at that point. So now to see it come come through and to him to do this amazing job in the most difficult year of college basketball is just a tribute really to the relationship that they had.
0: And the conversation I had with Patrick, we will share later in the podcast cuz he came on and with with us and I asked him, I mean, look, they were 3 and 8. They had every reason to tap out. They had a COVID shutdown. Like there was no reason. No reason to to think that they could, but they did. And I, I admire, and that's the, that's the, I think that I choose that word specifically. I admire people like him, Jawan, Chris Mullen, who did it at St. John's, but it didn't work out. It's hard. You go back, you're a legend at St. John's, Michigan, Georgetown. You don't have to do this, man. You don't have to do this. But in the case of, of Patrick, it was, it had to have been big John that made him go
1: back. I don't think he would have done it if it weren't. Do you? I don't, I really don't. And you bringing up that point about the, the start to their season was really rough. They had basically a whole new team. Lost to Navy, Jesse. They Navy. lost to Navy. Come on. <laughs> all due respect. Big coach. <laughs> all due respect. You don't lose the Navy if you're Georgetown. You don't. Big coach was rolling over in his grave when that <laughs> happened, but he was, you know, he was cursing Patrick out, you know, from the, from the next life. And Patrick responded, you know, that was one of the sort of the characteristics of, of Patrick Ewing as a player, always fighting, always tenacious. The first thing that coach says about him in his book is I saw a, a game at the Boston Garden. I went up to watch another kid and we're sitting courtside at the Boston garden and, Patrick Ewing gets the rebound and throws the outlet. No, he said a tall kid. He didn't know who he was. Gets the rebound, throws the outlet. The guy goes down and misses the layup. Ewing comes in and taps it in. So he's running and sprinting up the court. He's not content to just throw it. He's always working. And I think that's what he did this season. You know, I'm a reporter, Scott. So I, you know, I got to come with some information and some reporting. Okay. You know, and the word from out of the Hoyas locker room is that coach never stopped encouraging, believing, pushing these guys all season they were picked last in the big east i know and here's a little tidbit for you they started the season and coach ewing went in there and got his team around him like nine freshmen three grad transfers i mean i you know who knows they might have brought up some managers and he pointed to the banners in the ceiling of mcdonough the national championships the big east championships and he said we have enough in this room to get one of those That's belief right there, man. I mean, that's a tremendous job of coaching. And he acted like it. It wasn't just words. So I'm blown away. Jesse, I want to just go back before Patrick Ewing.
2: Obviously, Big John, his son is the head coach of Georgetown. And there's a lot of success there, man. A lot of success. The Final Four in 06, Big East Championships after. And then just brutal, brutal losses to to lower-seeded teams in the NCAA tournament that A lot of times, you know, Scott, back in the radio days, we would have we would have discussions, you know, what's a successful season, you know, and I just want to like that I what did John share about how hard that was watching his son have so much success and then getting beat up about these one loss, you know, it's it's a tournament and it just happened to them over and over. Like how how did he go about because that's gotta
1: be absolutely brutal emotionally, watching your son in that position. It was devastating. It was devastating. And his son getting fired was one of the, the most difficult things that he ever had to deal with. And especially because he couldn't say anything about it because he didn't want to impede his son's progress from that point forward. He knew if he's going to be ranting and raving and, and jumping up and down about his son getting fired, that that would affect his future opportunities. And mm. so he, he took it all on the chin. And I really had to coax it out of him for the book. But once we coaxed it out, it came out and he went in all the way in on how stupid a decision he felt it was and how unfair it is to, uh, you know, basically to, and it all gets back to the state of college basketball right now and the way all of these scandals and investigations. And if you're a clean program, that's who you're competing against. So you got to beat guys who cheat. You're losing recruits because other guys paid them. Yeah, you know, and and there's some specific examples of that which shall go unmentioned at this moment. But <laughs> the coaches are in the news, you know, like you're losing to like it's amazing. So some of them are was, in the tournament, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, so yeah, man, coach was, you know, and and we all know when Big Coach got ahead of steam up and got mad, it would come at you, and so he definitely talks about a lot in the book. But it was, you know his son was dealt with. He had two down seasons and he did before that. They were out in the first or the second round for a couple of years. Big coach said, uh, my son went to the final four too quick. He went in his third I mean, that,
2: that, that's what I thought about because now you're getting, you're getting ready. You know, we talk about all these expectations now in the sport. Uh, I do want to talk because everybody you read a talk about him, whether it's former players, whether it's colleagues, Leonard Hamilton, Nolan Richardson, uh, I've been reading some stuff about those guys and what he said and, it's funny. I was going back, and they talked about the bell he had before he walked down the stairs at McDonough. That everybody knew coach was on his way down to the court, so he better have the shoes up and, and ready to go. But what I really was into, like obviously the the you know the the father figure that he 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 brought to the program, but also it's amazing to see the other coaches. Leonard, like I said, Leonard and 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 Nolan talked about. Whenever, whenever big John took somebody out, it was hand on the hand on the back. And I'm not, I'm not embarrassing this kid. You know, he, he's, he knows why he's coming out of the game, you know? And I just like, how did he keep such a bravado of just being that big man, but also just establishing that, like, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to get in your ass, but I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to show you up when, you know, in, in front of everybody.
1: Yeah. Well, number one, the answer is because he was brilliant. But number two, Mm. you know, he was vilified back in the day for not allowing the media into practice. Yeah. He did that off the rip. Nowadays, you think you're walking into Krzyzewski's practice? You know, (laughs) heck no. 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 People are like, what is this guy? And he says in the book, I wasn't trying to keep you from doing your job. I'm trying to allow me to do mine. And Mm. in practice, he was on you. Mm. I mean, he was on you. I mean, like numerous players told me, in the prepara- while well, we were doing the research for this book, that they thought their name was mf Like Like, <laughs> players, you know, like, I thought that's what my mama named me. So he was <laughs> killing you in practice. And apparently this is something, you know, I've been, and I do have a story coming out with the undefeated uh, on this, you know, turn of events for Georgetown and, and this sort of passing of the torch from Big John to Coach Ewing. And folks are telling me that Coach Ewing and Coach Thompson both are very direct. They're not afraid to get on a player very individually. It's none of this, we need to rebound. It's A, you need to rebound. <laughs> so, in practice, Coach was getting on you, but in the arena, he was not. And this is something that he learned from Dean Smith, he told me. Dean Smith, one of his you know dearest friends and biggest coaching mentor along with Red Arback. He said that Dean Smith, you know how coaches will catch their players uh, – eye during the game and their player throw the ball away and they'll look at their player and tap themselves on the head like think out there dean smith told john thompson never do that to a player in a game because you're telling the whole arena that the boy is stupid Mm. you know so and and then i'll wrap it up by just saying he he loved these guys he wanted to protect them he was a protector and wanted to help raise them to manhood so he treated them like they were his own children Really tough on you, demanding excellence. But when we get out in front of everybody else, I'm on your side.
0: He didn't come to you because he didn't think you could do it. He came to you because he trusted you. How how do you how do you earn the trust of of John Thompson to with his with his life and his words?
1: Man, he didn't know who I was. He didn't know me from a can of paint. So his, how'd that happen? His children knew who I was and they did their research. And uh, our friend John Skipper recommended my name to Coach Thompson's agent. Uh, John Skipper, the our, our former president of ESPN. Right. And then I had to go interview with him and his kids. And he it was a tough interview, man. Um, I wouldn't call it a grilling, but it was definitely a little toasty in there. Um, and uh, he asked me very specifically, you've never done a book like this. What makes you think you could do mine? He also asked me why I wore Adidas to an interview with a Nike family. But that was another <laughs> <laughs> fashion play. Oh, so I mean, And, and the answer
0: could be none of your business and that's fine. But, but what's the answer to that question? How, how, why did you, because there has to be a certain level of, of, you know, audaciousness, right? Like, all right, you walk into there, you, right. You, you trust you, right. But you got to make him trust you. So what was, how do you, what was the answer? I did.
1: I really, I put a lot of thought into it because I wanted the gig. I knew that there were other people up for it. So I, I really wanted to be myself. Um, He also asked me, I was wearing, you know, Adidas sneakers, some, some sort of, you know, casual pants and a, and a polo. It was Adidas polo. Cause you can't mix and match the brands, Scott, you know, you can't have a Nike shirt and Adidas no, shoes. That no, doesn't work. Like
0: you went to Dick's sporting goods on a, on a sale or something.
1: No, sir. And so, um, I was just like, I'm going to be myself. And he said, why did you dress like that to come here today? And he didn't say it in a bad way. And then he fixed me with that stare. I said, coach, I figured out, I, I figured that you should just know who I am up front. And so that was sort of how I approached it. I did not get his trust immediately. Even after I got the job, I did not have his trust until I proved I could do the job until he started reading the stuff and his confidants and his family members said, okay, this is good. Um, You know, we have probably, I don't know how many hours and hours of conversations on tape. I think that this is a historical resource that he and his family should have custody of. And so I said one day, we're probably three or four months into the work. I said, coach, you and your family, I want you to have these tapes when we're done. Would you like them to give me, give them to you as we go along? Or should I save them all until we're done with the book and then give them to you at the end? He said, I want you to give them to me as we go along. Cause I never know when I might have to get rid of you. (laughs) (laughs) And he said it with a joke. But it was still like, all right, boy, like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like, you know, let's 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 keep it 100 here. And you're still on probation. All right, let's um, let, let let's keep it
0: 100 here, because if you became friendly with Coach John. And I know this because one of my dear friends uh, hosted a radio show at the same station where John Thompson worked. That's my friend, Kevin Sheehan, who works here in D.C. And if you're friendly with John, every conversation begin or every yeah every conversation begins with him saying in a very certain way what two words we can beep it
1: <laughs> mother
0: that's it <laughs> how soon into the conversations did you earn the uh, the respect to be called in the most
1: endearing of ways that it took a couple months scott and i was really i was waiting for it his daughter told me yeah, you're doing a good job, Jesse, but until he really starts cussing at you, you're not really – he's still on his best behavior. Right. So, I, you know, I didn't want to go too hard after it, but it was a big relief when it finally came. But it was definitely a few months. You know, he was – I was on probation. You know, I could have been yanked out of the starting lineup. I could have been benched. Big John once- would frequently, you know, tell kids, oh, you just transferred to Howard. That could have been me. <laughs> but once you got – mother once you got it,
0: you you had to know that you were absolutely getting the unfiltered not 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 his version of truth but his his the unfiltered john thompson right every
1: bit of it warts and all right i did and it was a great feeling you know and he was a coach to the end so i grew up watching his teams you know and and uh i grew up you know like everyone else wanting to play on his teams and not being anywhere near good enough to and so He was, the way that he would encourage the writing, the way that he would give me praise for doing a good job, Um, you know, I worked hard and he appreciated that. I didn't just come to the interview and say, all right, coach, what do you want to talk about? I came with questions. I came with research and numbers and facts. And he said, oh boy, you're not lazy. Okay. I see that. But he was coaching me, right? You know, he was coaching me and it made me feel good and want to do better. And, and then when, when you get that rolled in with getting cussed out, like, you know, I felt I felt like I was on the team to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, that's the closest I'll ever get to wearing a Georgetown jersey, but that's what it felt like and it was wonderful. Is there a favorite chapter in the book for you? The last one. Why? Because it's it's sort of a surprise. I love endings and and it's so meaningful and poignant and just I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but the last chapter is my favorite one. Even though we got Rayful Edmonds in the book and him Finally, after all these years, opening the door into the room where he sat down with the drug kingpin and dispelling the myths, so and we got Allen Iverson in practice, and and you know that so that and and Patrick Ewing, and we got Alonzo and Dikembe. and Dikembe. Now, and,
0: and I want to get to Rayful just because being a DMV guy, that, that that story has taken on a life of its own. Which the truth is, the tr- you know, the truth is always that not stranger than fiction, but I think it, it cuts through to the essence of John and the brilliance of the man. I'm going to get to that, but like. Patrick has a chapter. Dikembe and Alonzo have a chapter together. The only other guy that gets his own is Allen Iverson, who said when John at the Hall of Fame uh, induction in Springfield through tears, he saved my life. That wasn't hyperbole, was it?
1: Not at all. And it's hard to believe now, man, but you know, we almost didn't know who Allen Iverton was. I, I mean, know everybody it. had kicked him to the curb. He got, he got railroaded and unjustly tossed into jail at age 17, you know.
0: Bowling alley fight, for those that don't know, you can look up the details, Is Yeah, true? you know,
1: a conviction was which was eventually expunged, meaning they didn't Correct. have the evidence to, to make it in the first place. And Coach Thompson took a chance on this kid right out of jail, yep. you know. And, and he said that he wasn't really with it either because it wasn't like today where we knew how good these kids were you know he had seen him play here and there he knew the the rep coming out of virginia but he didn't know he was the allen iverson that he was going to literally change the game he might have been more 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 known
0: for football in a sense like i mean i think i think there was there were plenty of people that were like i th- i was convinced someone would take a chance on the football allen iverson i wasn't positive if the basketball piece would come together but but john like john and i don't know if this is hyperbole but coming to know him the way you did I think he's the only one that could have saved his life in in, in
1: every way that he did. You agree with that? That's a great observation. The way Coach puts it in his book, he said, when I look back on it now, he was the type of challenge that I needed. Like, Uh he liked that, man. He liked to go against convention. He liked to go out on a limb, especially to help a young person, especially to help a young person who could shoot. (laughs) <laughs> you, know, but, you know, because I love how honest he was when I was like, "Yeah, so you're trying to help me?" out. He's like, yeah, but I wasn't trying to help any slow, short guys. <laughs> you know? Like, let's be honest about my motivations. He was the most, you know, he he, he could contradict himself and still make total sense. <laughs> you know, what um, are my favorite since since we can bleep things out? Please, and- of course. And it's funny because as much as Coach Thompson liked profanity, he was very conscious about not using too much of it in his book. He kept saying, Jess, there's too much profanity in the book. I'm like, Coach, what do you want me to do here? Like, you know, I can only do so much. But one time he said, yeah, Martin Luther King Jr. was right, but he was also wronger than a mother. (laughs) 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 He is the only person in history to describe Dr. Martin Luther King as wronger than a mother. (laughs) (laughs) so it didn't come out that way in the book we cleaned it up you know um but he needed a challenge you know and that's why he took alan he needed a challenge that was the kind of thing he lived for and as he was more reflective in his later years doing this book he was like yeah that's a part of the reason why i why i took him uh and and hey we would not have known who alan iverson is if he had not taken him
2: um you know i'm you talked about his son uh getting fired and he made it a point. He, you, you said, and he said, and Patrick said, he convinced Patrick to take this job. You mentioned the names. We all know the names. Alonzo, Dikembe, a- A.I., Othella Harrington. What, throw them all in the Why? Why did he go all in on Patrick?
1: Hmm. Well, Patrick had been coaching for 13 years, I think, in the, mm-hmm. in the NBA and had gotten passed over. And Coach was very conscious of the bias against tall people. And big men, you know, and Patrick and it, mentioned that he mentioned that when he was yeah, with us. Yeah. Coach was very cognizant of that. He talks about it several times in the book. He's like, Yeah, everybody thinks that the point guard is supposed to be the smartest guy. Coach said, I played with a lot of dumb guards, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So he wanted to, you know, when coach didn't write the book to say how he won the national championship or how he recruited Allen. He wrote the book to deliver these bigger messages that he had and the things that were really important to him. And one of those bigger messages was, Hey, don't look at this package and make an assumption about the intelligence. Big people are smart too. And he was, he was very conscious. He said over and over how many big men have got the chance to be coaches in the NBA. Very few. So that's one of the reasons why Patrick and also, you know, Patrick is like the son to him. He
3: Mm -hmm. really
1: is. Patrick is like the third Thompson son. And Patrick is a good guy. And Patrick really, he deserved it. I mean, he did the, you know. Patrick really humbled himself, man. The guy made how many hundreds of millions of dollars. And then he's in the, he's in the, the NBA as an assistant coach rebounder for some joker. Who's going to be out the league in two years, (laughs) you know, and like doing all the dirty grunt work that the assistant coaches have to do and humble themselves out. And that's who Patrick Ewing is, by the way. Yeah. That is exactly who is. man. When we were working on this book, we would, we would work in uh in the Georgetown basketball office a lot. And we'd see, you know, Patrick would come by all the time and, I'd be in there sometimes waiting for coach by myself. He would come in the room. He'd say, hey, Jesse, how you doing? And like stop and wait for the answer. And me, I'm like, wait, this is Patrick Ewing asking me how I'm doing. You know, that's the kind of guy he is, you know. And, and, and by all accounts, he treats everybody that way. From the time he arrived at Georgetown at age 18 till now he's the head coach, he, he treats everybody that way. And so I think that those are the qualities that coach – saw and respected in in Patrick and why he wanted him to have that job.
0: What surprised you about
1: your time with him and what you came to know about the men? That he was a mama's boy. <laughs> like that was shocking to me. We all had, I had it too. It's this big, huge guy. He's yelling at people. He's cursing everybody out. Like he takes nothing from nobody, but you know, he was, uh, he was soft when he was a kid, <laughs> you know, he was a finesse player. He, you know, I mean, um, so that really surprised me. It surprised me. His influences were uh, on his coaching and his life in general were a number of women who he had as teachers, and then the two coaching influences. His biggest coaching influences, although he loved the historic black coaches, Big House Gaines, John McLendon, but Red Arback and Dean Smith. Dean Smith, yeah. You don't think Dean Smith when you see Coach Thompson. You know, you don't picture uh, John Thompson. At age sixteen, driving up to the Catskills with Red Arback, just the two of them in a car, like making road trips. Yeah, that was amazing to me. What would you say was the source of his his his
0: innate confidence and belief? Because I think something about and you and I on on SportsCenter we talked about like the Lefty drizzle. And and John Thompson thing Lefty was at Maryland. Maryland was a bigger deal than Georgetown. Then Georgetown became bigger than Maryland, and Lefty was content to let people think he was a dunce, like a rube. Right? Well, I don't know. You know, the you know Leonard bias. If he ain't all world, like he played the rube. He went to Duke. He was no dummy, but he let you think he was. And I think that that, that what strikes me about John, the, the coach that I am getting to know and got to know in in a larger sense through the book is a man that was willing to let you believe things about him that weren't necessarily true that perhaps would benefit him. Is is that a characterization that makes sense? Like,
1: like you go ahead and think what you want, but maybe it's not really what it is. You know what that gets to, that's a very perceptive comment because what that gets to is the whole reputation that he had as trying to intimidate people and his team had as, as trying to intimidate people or playing rough and things like that. And Coach was, had a saying, I don't think it's in the book, but coach would say sometimes when we were discussing what to put in and what to put out. Yeah. Well, I'm not giving anybody the back door to the Alamo. (laughs) So, so, and I'm very hesitant to define coach through my point of view, because this book, the whole point of it was for him to define himself. Understood. But I think that it would be okay. And that, you know, and for me to share this observation, I asked him specifically, okay, coach, you knew that people thought you were intimidating and you knew that they were scared of you guys. Did you ever consciously or not try to use that to your advantage? And he, he said, no, absolutely not. And then we talked about it for a little while. And then we came back the next morning. And as soon as he walked in, he said, I was thinking all night about that question that you asked. And he was really, I think, searching himself. And, and then he said, let's get Mary Fenlin on the phone. Now, for those who don't know, Mary Fenlon was his most trusted advisor, the academic advisor, and number two in charge for his entire 27 years at Georgetown. We called her up.
0: L- l- just, just real quick, yeah. picture. Little white lady on the bench. Big John Thompson, little
1: white lady. And the two of them were the, were this dynamic duo, correct? Absolutely, yes. Um, you know, Coach Ewing thanked Mary Fenlon and Coach Thompson when they went to the tournament. So he got her on the phone and he said, Jesse asked me if I was trying to intimidate people, (laughs) you know, and, but he really examined himself. I think that he was far too intelligent not to know that that was a perception that people had of him. He knew that, but not to use it. I think he was far too much of a, a competitor not to use everything he could within the rules that would help him and his kids win that was fair and right and legal. Although I don't think that he would might not even want to recognize it. He might've put that away in a part of himself that he didn't want to think about, Yeah. but But, he knew that people were scared of him and he refused to change because of that. And if that's going to help you win some games, Hey, that's your problem. And so if you grew up on the
0: Maryland side of the tracks, like I did, like my boy, Kevin did, and you and Kevin was lucky enough to get to know him and really develop a friendship. And Kevin shared a story with me about, he was, he he was coaching his son and he, he was coaching against, Ronnie, Big John's son's son, so Coach uh, Coach Thompson's grandson, and Kevin had always, you know, he talked. So he's like, "You're a coach. Like, what do you know about basketball? This and that." Well, that day at the Silver Spring Boys and Girls Club, my guy Kevin, his team, they beat this. they beat the brakes off of young Ronnie's <laughs> team, and Kevin says at halftime, <laughs> "Picture this: the Silver Spring Boys and Girls Club at halftime." He said, "I look up, and here comes Big John walking across the court, and he says." mother you do know what you're doing. And he said, <laughs> coach Thompson, like gave him, gave him his dues and propers And after the game with the, Kevin's team, won, he said, they sat up in the bleachers and he said, I was able to introduce some of my young kids to him, this legend. And they saw Jesse, the man, not, not some frightening ogre, not some, some mysterious, whatever, a, 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 a warm and open uh, legend who was right there in, in front of them, flesh and flesh and blood. And I, I think that it's just, I know for Kevin, who, who gave me that on-ramp, I, I'm just so grateful that I got to know that part of that man because I think that that's more who he was than what we thought. And I just wonder if that rings true for you.
1: It rings so true. And it sort of brings us full circle to this situation with Coach Ewing right now because everyone is genuinely happy for Patrick Ewing right now. You know, and they uh-huh. recognize, wow, this is a good guy. Like, he deserves this, you know, like, man, he working hard. You know, he's got a scrappy bunch of underdogs over here and, and they overachieve. That is the direct opposite of how he was perceived. He was the villain ever since he said he was going to Georgetown, you know, and there's a story in the book, you know, from what Patrick said. He said, yeah, I got up in in the restaurant in Boston. I said, I've decided to attend Georgetown and half the room walked out. You know, and, and they hated those guys, hated. A lot of the country hated them. A lot of the media hated them. And people had said all kinds of things about Patrick. And he was perceived in a certain way. When all along, he was the nicest guy, fierce competitor, same as Coach. You know, Coach was always that warm guy, that loving guy who loved kids, who would get down on his knee to talk to a kid. But he was perceived a certain way. They went out. They handled their business. It took a long time for people to realize who Coach really was. And now we're finally seeing, Wow. Patrick Ewing is a good guy. He's a nice guy. He John's deserves this.
0: It. John's getting his flowers, as they say, in a sense, almost through Patrick, which is it's it's too late in a sense, but maybe it's not. Um, I have one more thing on the book, and then I want to talk some Drexel with you real quick. Yes, sir. I see that hat. <laughs> yes. <sir. laughs> in the building. Um, John, the, the legend of John and the, the most the most fearsome legend of John I pictured from the stories that I heard face-to-face with rafael Edmond. for those that aren't from the dmv quick cliffs notes rafael Edmond was a notorious legendary drug kingpin a man to be feared a man not to be trifled with a man who was a, a real one in every sense of the word and is i believe still incarcerated and will be for the rest of his life okay he was also a georgetown fan and he was wanted access to Georgetown and came to know some of those players. And the story went, Jesse, that John Thompson summoned him, sat him down, gave him the what for, but John was far too smart a man to get, <laughs> to get that crazy and that reckless with Rayful Edmund. What really happened?
1: Wow, man. <sighs> I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about it because Rayful Edmonds was, you know, uh, kingpin. And you don't get to that point in the drug game in D.C. and and being a, a, one of the biggest players on the East Coast without having a lot of bodies, you know, fall. So that was the subtext of what's going on. And Coach Thompson requested a meeting with Raefel, and originally Raefel didn't show up. <laughs> and Coach was so connected at every level of D.C. from the highest, literally the White House to the streets. <laughs> that He knew people who knew Raefel. And he didn't show up. He had to call and try and get him again. And then he heard that he was hanging out in the dorm and, and like was like, hey, can, can I mean, please, <laughs> can, you know, please, can you bring him over, please? Like, I'd really like to talk to this young man. So he finally comes over and 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 he he enters when the guys are playing pickup in the gym. And so his son, Ronnie, was on the team at that time. And this son, Ronnie, was like, oh, man, when Ray walked in the gym, we were like, oh, my God, what is going like? Can you imagine that record scratch? Like, (laughs) everybody in the city knows this
0: man. Like, Big John was as big as there was, but this dude was on a whole other deal. Like, I can't even
1: fathom that. It might be the two most famous black men in D.C. at this time. Okay. You know, there's a a credible argument to be made for that. So then they go up in the room, and then really – What he said in the book, which really hit me in the heart and talks about what type of guy Coach Thompson was, was he said, I looked at him like he was, you know, a kid in the neighborhood who had gone off track. And I needed to, you know, like if a kid in the neighborhood is off the, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to bury this kid. I'm going to like, he even wanted to try to help him. You know, he didn't, he didn't condemn him, but he also knew that he had very little leverage in the situation, which shows like a humility that coach Thompson, he wasn't like, I'm coach Thompson and I'm going to get up here and curse you out. He said, I would have been stupid to make this kid angry, you know, but the perception that he had done that. And we all sort of admired that, like, it wasn't even a negative thing. Like we were like, yeah, John, like that's Go how ahead, John. You got. <laughs> tell him, you know, but he was like, nah, man, I had to, I had to approach it respectfully. He had all the leverage. He held all the cards. I mean, it's easy to forget now, after the legend has been built and Coach Thompson has done everything that he's done, that he almost lost his Georgetown program over that. If that had gotten out in the wrong way, mm. that his That, you know, Alonzo Mourning was the player who was hanging out with him. He was the Zion Williamson of his time. And so he's hanging around with drug dealers and nightclubs and playing on his team, eating at his house. If that had gotten out, he could have lost his job. But Rafel respected what John requested. That was the flip side of it. Yes. That Rafel had a deep respect for this man, John Thompson, based on everything he had seen him do and represent in D.C., aside from loving basketball and seeing him win. But he knew that Coach Thompson was at the same boys club that Rafel and his boys used to play at. He knew that, and Coach Thompson refused to put any of this in the book, but when the boys club needed some money, new backboards, new rims, anything, new boiler, boom, you got it. He was helping all kinds of kids go to college that wasn't Georgetown, counseling kids. He was seen, he was present on the same streets that Ray was, and he respected what he did for D.C., And so he respected who he was. So he said that it felt like Ray was like, um, it was like uh, when one of your neighbor's children gets in trouble and then you see him and you sort of wag your finger. So Ray had a little bit of fear for coach Thompson, but coach Thompson didn't abuse that they worked together, man. And they solved their problem together. And uh, it was not what, what did coach say in his book? He said, it was less than what everybody said, but it was also more. Perfectly put.
0: You want to talk about Drexel?
1: Man, do I? Let's go. Let's go. So, um, man, (laughs) so first of all, shout to Drexel coach Zach Spiker. Done a great job with those guys. All the assistants, Coach Jordan, Coach Fortier, um, Coach Jennings, and the whole program have done a great job. Kept these guys together in a tough season. And my son plays for Drexel University, Coltrane Washington. Remember the name coming at you with a three ball near you in your eyeball. (laughs) My son's been on the shelf with an injury this year, but still supporting the squad. And they are Cinderella, the number sixteen seed, versus uh, the Illini. Matt, I
0: mean, a tough one. Well, I mean, that look—you're dancing, right? So the music's still playing, but the you know reality—well, the reality of the situation is—is is, it's, it's it's a steep hill to climb. And I, I often say on the show, Jesse, like one shining moment happens to two teams, right? That we typically focus on the joy, but then there's the despair when you lose at the buzzer. And if you're the one seed, they've got title aspirations. But how how does this Drexel team right now, as they prepare, they got a game, they got 40 on the clock, right? Like they've got right. they got they got a night together to 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 make a mark, to leave a mark, maybe to play on. It would be remarkable. But I just wonder how if you could describe what that. What that dream and that room, as you
1: understand it right now, is like? Yeah, so it's a group of guys who came together a couple of years ago, and Spiker's only been there for a few years, so they've built it from the ground up, and they're playing to win. You know, They played UMBC right after, early in the season, after UMBC knocked off UVA, You know, the first 16 to ever beat a one seed. So you know, they know that it can be done. They're not coming to play for no tie and no moral victories. You know, right. they're, they're going for the gusto, as they should. Um, they, I'm sure that the guys who are on that court don't feel that they're, oh, those guys are better than us. Nah, we out here to hoop, man. I mean, those are some hoopers. I know my son doesn't feel that way. Oh, they're better than you. Nobody's, ain't nobody scared up in Drexel. This is Philly, <laughs> baby. So, you know, we coming to get it.
0: <laughs> Phil, yeah, Philadelphia, you know what that is. Um, um, this, this is a conversation that, that uh, I enjoyed greatly. Um, I enjoyed when you came in here. I knew that, that, that having a bit more uh, latitude to, to go in whatever direction would be beneficial. I, I would just ask this as a final thought. I came as a shadow. I stand as a light. Uh, you, you shine a light on the man and the, and the life together. It was his story. You, you earned his trust to, to make it all make sense, so to speak. Uh, Is there a final thought you would you would say, by the way, buy the book so that you can read all these stories? I mean, that's obvious. That's a given. But as a final thought about the man that you came to see in the light that you would want as sort of the final postscript.
1: Yeah, it's that I love the title. And it comes from a poem where he said, I came as a shadow. I stand now a light. The depth of my darkness transfigures your night. And Coach Thompson identified with that shadow because when he came on the scene, everybody was scared what's this big, huge black guy doing here with all these black players? What's wrong with this picture? But by the time he passed away last August, we really recognized what a light he had been for college basketball, for higher education, for racial progress. And I'm very thankful to have been able to play a small part in telling his story. The
0: custodian of his words, that, uh, that, that trust and that, uh, that belief from his family and from the big man itself, I have to imagine in an already distinguished career, whatever else you get to do, that will always, I imagine, hold a very special place in your heart. Yes,
1: it really will. Um, it was a privilege and a responsibility. And I tried to do my best. Coach Thompson, when we finished the book, said simply, you done good, boy. And that's all the validation that I needed. No doubt. Right on.
0: I can't beat that. Uh, Jesse Washington, the undefeated. uh, I came as a shadow is the book on John Thompson. The conversation, uh, very, very enjoyable. I look forward to the next time, whatever that might be. And uh, I look forward to reading your words on uh, Patrick Ewing and Georgetown, who have got a game with Colorado as they on the 49th anniversary of John Thompson's hiring. They won their four straight game in the garden. It's amazing how the cards come out of the, come out of their shoes. Sometimes Jesse, thank you so much. Continued success and good health and go get him Drexel. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Steve i came as a shadow that's jesse washington's book john thompson's autobiography jesse washington very clear i think and i, I don't want to mischaracterize it's john's work you know how this goes autobiographies jesse's there to help make sure that everything is uh done correctly and what a brilliant guy and an interesting guy i enjoy talking to him a lot i enjoyed talking to patrick ewing too he came on with us on sports center on sunday night from indianapolis in his hotel room after the hoyas won four consecutive games to crash the tournament, steal a bit, and get ready for a 12-5 game against Colorado. Here's the legend himself, Patrick Ewing. Uh, after you won in New York, you said you were out of pants, drawers, and pullovers. I trust that you got <laughs> some gear sent to Indianapolis so you can uh, have a lengthy
3: stay, right? It's, it's on the way. It's on the way. Um, you know, uh, our managers, they, they, they're going to go out and get some laundry done as well. Uh-huh. But uh, I don't know if I like them doing my personal laundry, so <laughs> I called home and I, I'm having that stuff sent to me. or, or I'm gonna have to wear that, that, uh, that championship t-shirt right there uh, as part of my wardrobe. And hey, that's what a great shirt to wear and what an amazing <clears throat> run.
0: Four wins in four days. the joy of you and your young man was so evident. And Patrick, you've been a part of so many remarkable things in your basketball journey. But in that locker room with these guys and what you've been through, how, how do you best describe what that represented for you?
3: Um, you know, it's, it's hard to put in words. Um, we've come uh, so far in such a, a, a little bit of time. You know, I'm very honored to, to coach these kids. Uh, you know, to me, coaching is just like being a parent, you're trying to teach them and, and show them the best way to, to become human beings. And they've been doing an outstanding job of getting that done. And right now, we're playing our best ball of the year. And we, it showed uh, all week long in New York. The fact,
0: Patrick, that it was the Garden, I mean, look, the Big East tournament in that building is so synonymous, but it is your house, as you said last week. The fact that it was there, <laughs> again, this is their moment, but it's yours too. I just, How does that magnify and elevate what, what that night's like for it to be there?
3: Oh, it's great. Uh, I spent 15 years of my, of my life uh, playing every night in that garden. Uh, my number's in the rafters. Uh, you know, I, I gave my blood, sweat, and tears uh, to that organization. Right. So naturally, when we play there, it's very special to me.
0: You mentioned being a parent. Well, your basketball dad, Big John, it's impossible not to think of him. And as I see you smile, I think of his smile. I think of that booming voice, and I think of what he might have said in that moment. <laughs> as you've thought about that, what do you imagine that night would have meant to him to see one of his basketball sons do this with his his Hoyas?
3: Well, first of all, it's it was great to be uh, for it to be on that night. The, uh, 49 years ago, yesterday, that was the day that Georgetown University hired Coach Thompson. And it's just ironic. That that's the night that we wanted, and you know one of the things that he and I always talked about was that uh, how I was not given an opportunity to to show that show my coaching uh, skills uh, in the NBA, and he talked me into coming back here to my alma mater, and 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 one of the things he's always telling me, he said I used to love to kick guards' butt because they think that everyone thinks that the guards are 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 the better thinkers. So, you know, we're we trying to, we, we're chopping wood and trying to change that narrative.
0: Yeah, I've got, I've got, uh, I came as a shadow The the book that John did with Jesse Washington right here in my hands. I keep it right here on the desk. I think Jesse and I are going to do a podcast this week to talk about what you did and talk about his book and just talk about, uh, just a remarkable next chapter that you and your guys wrote, Patrick. It, it, you know what's interesting? And I, I, I don't know if this matters or not, but it's no secret where, where I'm from on the DMV side, right? I, people know I'm a Maryland guy. I can't <laughs> tell you, Patrick, how many Maryland people I know that said, man, I'm thrilled for Georgetown. That's not an emotion I imagine people would have thought they would have felt. But on any side of the DMV uh, rooting section, people were thrilled for you. And I don't know if that matters or means anything, but I just... I feel like it's worth saying because this that the whole city was thrilled for you guys on uh on uh, Saturday night.
3: Oh no, it definitely matters. Um it's always great when your town is behind you. Uh and I know uh th- there's a lot of schools in the DMV, but uh Georgetown I think is special to the entire city and even the, the even the folks at Maryland. <laughs> but it, it's great to, to have uh have the DMV room for us.
0: No doubt, and uh, and certainly Big John had to be just so thrilled from above. What an amazing, uh, amazing uh, parallel between his hiring and, and your success last night. I hope the clothes arrive soon, but you've got plenty of shirts that say champs on them to wear between now and then. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck, Patrick, with Colorado, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us tonight.
3: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: Steve, that was no joke uh, at the end about the Maryland piece because, like, being from here, uh, as we talked about with Jesse and as we talked about with Patrick, like, I mean, it ain't Crips and Bloods. It's not that serious, but there's red and there's blue and you're a Hoyer or you're a there, You know, the two don't mix a whole lot, but Patrick is a guy that I just, I know a lot of my friends that are Maryland folks were thrilled, legitimately thrilled, but there's a fine line here. We were happy mm-hmm. for him, but let's not have Georgetown get back to that, to like the level when he was there. We don't need any of that nonsense. So I'm happy only to a point. Let's at least be honest about it. Wait. I don't want to see it get back to the glory days, but uh, he didn't have to be there, man. He made all that dough in the league. He could have been doing anything. He's in there grinding with a bunch of guys, and they made it to the tournament. And it's uh, before the tournament gets going, one of, one of the great stories of March. And I think he's one of the most underappreciated players ever to play the sport. I really do. Um,
2: go back, look at what Villanova had to do to beat him in the national championship. Yep. Uh, he also had to go head-to-head with Michael Jordan all those years. Like, I can't imagine the, the, the mental toughness he has to know what he's overcome. Jesse touched on it, all the stuff, uh, you know, saying that he's coming to Georgetown, what people did to him on, you know, when he was in college, how he got, you know, everybody, you know, the younger crowd knows how Shaq was officiated. Go back and look at Patrick Ewing. You want to see it? You want to see, you know, people go at somebody. Uh, nobody like him. I I really think he's so underappreciated as a player because he was so talented. Like he wasn't he wasn't you know just sitting on the block and and, and jump hook and you know he was running up and down the core, playing above the relentless, room, like, just relentless. unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and, and he just played so hard. I'm uh, and He was the just guy.
0: awesome to watch. He really thrilled was for the guy. They take on uh, Colorado, and then if they're able to to win another uh, Florida state and UNC Greensboro on the other side of that bracket. We got brackets on our hands, Steve, after last year, no joke, man, that sucked worse than anything. Like mm-hmm. everything else just got put on hold, the NBA, the NHL. I would play it later. Masters will play in November, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the tournament never happened. And those teams will never get that back. Like those, those, there were teams that were right there chance to go on a run and it never happened. Like, I don't know how you reconcile that, but at least this year, we've got it. We got a bracket. It's not perfect, but it's uh, it looks pretty perfect right now yeah. anyway.
2: It's hope. It's hope, the bracket. I love it. Um,
0: speaking of, yeah, are, are you going to fill out a bracket this year? I don't know. Every time like our show staff asks a question, like, what do you want to do on the bracket? I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it. Like I come home, Charlie's naked running around outside. Like I, like, you think, like, what do you people think? You think I got time to sit around and go, let's see, let's break down the Oklahoma, Missouri. Go, no, no. He wants Doritos. Why are you naked? What, what? We went over to some friend's house the other day and they had a trampoline in the backyard and there were a bunch of families and a bunch of kids. And in the very end, all the boys took their shirts off. And I oh, said, boy. Charlie, we have to go. And he said, no, I want to be naked with these, with everyone. I'm like, wait, like, are we shirts off or are we going to pull our wrench out? Like, what are we doing? He's a lover, not a fighter. I, he's three. You're we're not loving anybody. Yeah. Like, put your pants on. He, at least he kept his pants on. He kept his pants on yesterday. Now I want to get naked and play with these guys. Does he love Paw Patrol? A lot. Also, <laughs> also, um, what's that guy? Blaze. He's a truck. Oh yeah, yeah! Blaze is a tr- he's blazing the monster machines. They add a lot of adding, a lot of addition, a lot of problem solving. So you can convince yourself that they're acting. No, this is actually great. Except that the kids are just mesmerized by like the colors. And then when you turn it off, then Charlie will fight you. So I guess this so we is might, a long maybe way he to fight. is a fighter. He might be. Yeah, he is a fighter. If you turn off the television, all this is a way of saying I don't know who's playing in the in the tournament. Have Charlie fill out a bracket for you. Couldn't be worse than mine. Mine are never any good. No, I mean, I, I perused it a little bit. I know you have. What are you getting at? What do you want to know? I want to know who you think the first one seed out is. Ooh. Um, I worry about Michigan without Livers, who I called mm-hmm. Livers, but his name's not Livers, it's Livers. I worry about them without him. Also because if you lose a player, and you have time to get used to life without that player, then you become some other version of yourself, right? Other people advance, next man up. That's such a cliche, but you got time to figure it out. Well, they didn't have a lot of time to figure it out. And then Mm. they, I mean, they came roaring back against Ohio State. Ohio State's been having a hard time closing games and they nearly let that one get away. All due Mm -hmm. respect, Travis. But I just, I worry about Michigan and like, I don't know who's going to win LSU Bonaventure, but like LSU's got dudes, man. Hoo-hoo. That game that game against Alabama
2: unbelievable. There was Un-
0: people getting after it. Now the shot selection, you know, <laughs> not always like <laughs> there's very little but, discerning sort of like like, nah, let's just let it, let's let shots fly. What I'm getting at is like, I, I don't feel great about that game. Uh even for Michigan, who I think is awesome. I think they're as yeah. hard to guard as anybody. I just really worry about what are you without such a significant piece. Uh and it's only this third game you'll have played without them.
2: I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm looking at the five seeds. Everybody loves a 12 versus five, uh-huh. and everybody feels I don't vulnerable. I don't know if that's the word, but all right, we got we got Nova and Winthrop, who has one loss. We got Creighton and UCSB. Creighton, I don't know what the thinks going on in that locker room. They didn't. They did not play. I don't. I don't. I don't really want anything to do with them. No, I don't blame you. I and mean, then, the the then you went have the Jordan. Then you like
0: a forty three to seven run or something. Yeah. And then yeah. George was playing Colorado, right? Yeah.
2: And, uh, and then another the one you have Tennessee, who I think's really overseeded, and uh, in Ohio in Oklahoma State or no Oklahoma State's a four. Oregon State, uh, who just won the Pac twelve, comes in. Who do you trust as a five
0: seed to make a run? Not Phil because again, you saw what happened to them without Gillespie. And that's, that's not a great comparison to Livers because Gillespie's got the ball in his hands at all time. And what a great story. Like he was sort of an afterthought, not somebody they prioritized as a recruit, weren't even sure he'd be good enough. And then he becomes the soul of the of the team and in and, and so many respects and like when he went down that night with injury like you were gutted and i think you oh. can relate to it on so much more of a level as a guy that you know had injuries and what it is to be in the arena that way uh that's crushing so no i don't i don't and it, not only i mean so if you beat Winthrop, you're not beating Purdue, so mm. no i don't trust them tennessee i've watched them play where they can't score for 10 minutes yeah I know they can play great defense. They got a they got some great athletes and an excellent coach, but they just they have horrendous stretches of not being able to score. And then they got Oklahoma State theoretically opposite them on the four line. Colorado, I just saw lose to Oregon State. Mm-hmm. I don't are they a five? Like I'm not I'm not bummed out about the seeds, but like wow, that seems like a high number next to Colorado's name. Um, and like Georgetown, I mean, I don't know if it's house money or if they're dangerous now. Yeah. And then, and then Creighton, uh, you're not wrong to say, uh, like, where are we as a group collectively? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, look, Creighton of all of them, I, if I had to pick somebody, I think I'd pick Creighton just because I okay. trust their ability. I trust their ability to shoot it. Balik Zegarowski, like those guys, I, I don't I don't imagine them having another horrendous shooting game the way they had against Georgetown. But when you say run, are you talking about second weekend? Like what kind of yeah define, second weekend, defi- sweet 16. run? Yeah. Yeah. Beat, okay. beat a four seed and get to the sweet 16. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, who's opposite them, Virginia. And we don't even know what they're like. I think, I think tons of people are going to pick Ohio just because Ohio can score points and like who it, it's not wrong to wonder if Virginia even going to be able to make it. Yeah. Which is a bummer for them. But I mean, that's the reality of the situation. Hmm. What other big picture thoughts do you have for your boy? How many points
2: do I have to give you to take Colgate against Arkansas? I don't know, man. I'm not
0: anti-Colgate. I know you're not. I watched them some, but like, like, with respect, okay? Like, well, let's take the net thing out of it. It's not your fault that the Patriot League didn't play any out-of-conference games other than Navy and Army played a couple, and Navy beat Georgetown, and Army had a close game against Florida, so all that – game the net and you're top 10 well no you're not you're a 14 seed so that's what you are like have you seen arkansas i know you have yeah i i wouldn't want to play them they can score a hundred on you mm -hmm. uh now i mean i don't know enough about colgate to pretend like i can handicap the game i watched them play against bucknell and they 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 had like a hundred and something they, they scored they, 105 They beat 105 75 and i don't doubt that they're good i just i don't know enough about them i just know that they weren't a top 10 team and it's and it's kind of not their fault that I, I i made it clear i don't hate them i just hate any metric that says a team that played army boston and holy cross is the top 10 team in the country because that's that's dumb they played five teams this year. That's it. Five. Loyola, five. Bucknell and Loyola. That's that's the extent of it. Yikes. Arkansas that, played that's, like That's my five. one double-digit win I like. Arkansas by double digits? hmm What's that number? It's like nine and a half, ten right now. So that's maybe like a little lean? Maybe early lean. Were you, um, were you relieved to, to finally lose on daily wager, so you didn't have to stress so much about every pick, or were you pissed? No, I was pissed. I know I want to I wanted to go into the tournament red hot um, you're allowed to lose one, you're allowed to go 12 out of 13 Steve I know I know did people heckle you when you lost not really I didn't good. really check I didn't really check much I just that's good that's scrolled good. ahead because it's all yeah it's scrolled all just Twitter is not the place to go for positive reinforcement no this correct. just in all right last one yep what two seed goes the farthest Oh, uh, well, Bama's obviously losing to second game to Maryland. Uh, yep. Uh, let's see. Ohio State kind of having trouble closing lately. They need Kyle Young back. I hope he's okay. Iowa and Oregon could score with him. I don't know. Probably Houston. Yeah, you like Houston? I don't know. I'm just looking at it, just trying I'm to make sense of it.
2: by them because I honestly –
0: I'm, I'm kidding can't. about Bama, by the way, that, that I think Bama, like Bama is a a scary team for sure. No but problem. I like I, I do like Houston, I, their ability to guard you. Um, and I just think like Clemson Rutgers, I don't neither one of those teams scares me. And then it wouldn't shock me if Syracuse somehow came out of that top, whatever that mm. thing is. What is it? Six, eleven, three, fourteen. 314. Yep. Who, give me yours.
2: It's tough for me to decide between Iowa and Ohio State. I think – Big Ten, Steve. I think Iowa – is really looking forward not to play in conference anymore. As, pro- as is everybody, like everybody in the country's got to be dying not to see a team from their conference right now on this, you know, on these lines as we get ready for this weekend. There's
0: no doubt, but but this year's this year's Big Ten in particular, yeah, with, with the like whatever Penn State finished in the league, it might have been 12th. I, I I think their Ken Palm was like 30. Like, that's what the league was. And texting with coaches and people in different uh, like basketball offices that everyone said the same thing. I'm so happy that we don't have to play Purdue, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Maryland, whoever, just give me somebody else. That doesn't, the minute we go thumbs up, they don't just start doing our set before we do our set. Before we go, we go fist and they just start yelling out what the screens are. Like, enough, 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 enough. And that doesn't guarantee, like, Billis made the point the other night on Sports Center. He's like, look, maybe you guys iron sharpens iron, or maybe you're just exhausted from what yeah. this season took out of you, uh, both off the floor with all the circumstances that they had to deal with, and then on it where you just basically didn't get a break. You know, you didn't have t- bottom feeder teams that weren't competitive. I mean, Nebraska had a rough year. Other than them, that was the only team that couldn't win games.
2: All right, last bracket question. All right. Do you think, or I should say, do you believe the better teams, the, the you know, the the ones and the twos and the threes benefit from playing with these games with less crowds,
0: knowing how much the crowd roots for an underdog? mmm I hadn't thought about that, but I I do think that having been in a venue when the double-digit seed's making a run, everyone in the joint roots for the double-digit seed. Yeah. And I do think it will benefit – I do think it will benefit the higher seeds to not have 12,500 people out of the 14,000, or probably more than that, because you probably get like 500 tickets. You know, and, mm. and like I 100 years ago, I was in College Park when Richmond, who was a 15, beat Billy Owens in Syracuse, who was a two. I was I in the building that. that night, and the place went <laughs> berserk for Richmond because you just okay, I got no dog in the fight. I'm gonna root for the underdog. Actually, I have yeah. a dog in the fight, I have the underdog. I'm gonna root for him. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. Um, also an interesting subplot. Late here, do you see Goodman's tweet tonight? This, we're, we're taping on Monday night no goodman tweets out that how about this so six referees including tv teddy john higgins and roger ayers have been sent home from indy because their hotel rooms weren't ready so they went out to to dinner together somebody has it and then there's contact tracing so no tv teddy
2: so they didn't wear their mask and they they went to harry and izzy's for dinner
0: and what started doing f- Fireballs and get wrecked and took their <laughs> and shirts they, off like Charlie. They,
2: they didn't wear. They didn't wear masks. And so when they came back, they all got contact. is Ted
0: Valentine over there with the three? Who's the three-year-old with his shirt out? Ah, he's cute as hell. That's Van Pelt's kid. Be careful, he'll pull his wrench out.
3: Jesus, uh,
0: like so they went out and got they went out and got dinner. Somebody's got the rona, and now they got to go home. No TV, No Higgins wow. is a good official. That guy, Valentine. Wow. You know. His rep, his rep proceeds. So that's interesting. That's, big, that's breaking news. Good
2: breaking job, news. Goodman.
0: Uh, he's been breaking a ton of stuff. How he's about Indiana? Machine. Who's going to take that job?
2: I think there's one person to
0: go after. Don't say Brad Stevens. No, no. John John Beeline? No.
3: Chris Scott True. Beard.
0: Chris Beard. I really hate that. <laughs> I, love that guy. I love that guy and i don't need i don't need another coaching animal in this league to deal with you're in europe oh man I don't, that's gonna be that's gonna be a big one that's mm-hmm. gonna be a big one steve and i have lengthy lists talking about this guy or this thing or this whatever whatever once a week One thing a week. Here's what I hate. Here's what I hate is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Download the DraftKings app today and use code SVP to get in on all the action. Stanford Steve,
2: what do you hate, Steve? All right, I've been stewing on this one for a couple weeks, Scott. Here we go. Here's what grinds my gears with Steve. All right, and it's been a while. A couple weeks ago, Scott was uh, fortunate enough to – give us uh, an invitation to go see the Maryland lacrosse team play against Hopkins at, uh, is it Bird Stadium, Capital One Field? How do I say it? it? There's a lot of
0: names. Just say Maryland. It used to be Bird, and then they got rid of it. Just at Maryland Field. All right. At Maryland Field. And
2: it had been a while. I realized driving around, it had been a really long time since I've been on a college campus. Mm -hmm. And with that, this has nothing to do with Maryland because this is an issue all over the country. Okay, but why the is there construction on every damn college campus in America, nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? Can we find a campus that doesn't have construction? Can I get a parking lot that's close to a stadium and I don't have to go around those fences that have the, the blocking stuff in there so you can't see what's on the other side of the fence? They're everywhere on every single college campus, and it drives me nuts. You know I'm right. Stop building things, America. Seriously, like take a year off one time. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Christmas, everywhere. Every they, travel hey, around take, college game day. There's construction every hey, you got the biggest game in the world going on this week. Maybe you shut it down for a week.
0: Take a gap year. Take a gap year, America. Holy moly. No one needs a new chemistry building. Stop building engineering buildings. Enough. You have the rules. Got enough stuff. Stop. Steve needs somewhere to park. Stop spending your money on new buildings. Thank you. It is pretty bad. It's horrible. You know I'm right. Every campus. No one's ever done. The, the, the buildings are never done. There's always a new building. It's it's um, incredible to me. I'm in a pretty good frame of mind this week. I'm I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to lay out. I'm going to abstain. Wow. Pass. I mean, you know me, it's normally, it's a, I got a long list. There's stuff, but. Uh, you don't have I, a problem just, with the seeds in the tournament. Usually that's your biggest grade. Uh, I mean, you know, our guys, our guys are on a line. 10, seven, it's whatever. Let's they go. did make you wait a while on the broadcast. <laughs> I, I didn't hate that, but let's just say this. My daughter, my daughter <laughs> is, we're watching. She's like, who's Maryland playing, Daddy? I'm like, oh, we're waiting to see. And then every time, like Carolina came up, I'm like, please don't play Carolina. Please don't play Carolina. <laughs> oh, good. 8-9. Thank God we don't have to play Carolina. And Florida came up. That's my wife's alma mater. And I'm oh. like, house divided. Are we going to be the 7? Because I was pretty sure seven ten. And I'm like, ooh, if we play them, that'll be bad. And then Florida's not playing Maryland. Florida's playing somebody else. Who do they play? Virginia Tech. But then, like, Rutgers was at 10. Wisconsin's at 9. So you start worrying about seeds. But I'm like, wait a minute. Michigan State, they're in at 11. There's no way Maryland, who just beat Michigan State, there's no way they're not in. But we literally got to the last matchup that could possibly have included Maryland. Yep. And they were not shown yet. And so seven is UConn. And I I said – like to nobody in particular, I think filled with absolute dread, blood draining from my face. If this isn't Maryland, they're not in the tournament. <laughs> and like my kids are smart enough to know that that's going to be a problem for daddy. And then there's the, there's the M and you hear Gumbel say Maryland. And you like, it wasn't even like relief. It was just like, okay, I, my, my heart didn't. Yeah, all right. My heart didn't, didn't explode. We're good. We're on the, we're on a line. You weren't gonna make you weren't gonna make it into work if they didn't get in the tournament. No, I would have. I would have okay. just said this is a complete travesty of justice, and I I would have said I hate the NCAA committee, and I would have driven there and I would have been a one man bullhorn protest crew. <laughs> so I guess that what I hate is that is that if the, if we weren't on the ten line, but we were, so we're good. But it was like you knew it had to be like there yeah. was no way they weren't in. But still, when you are like. They weren't on the 215 line. So it truly was the last slot it could possibly have been. And um, then immediately I started thinking about book night and I'm like, God, that guy's good. Mm. They got some dudes. Hurley. Think about that Rhode Island game in the tournament down there. I had a little run in post game. It's, it was a long time ago. Everybody's fine. Yeah. It's every, what was it? I mean, obviously the lead,
2: it's the fine. lead, eight, the lead eight game in Oh two. Oh, but then, yeah. then Joe Smith, right? Joe
0: Smith was way before the 0 No, I know. They
2: played UConn.
0: Yeah, they lost. They lost. But o- O2. That Elite Eight game in Syracuse was as good a game as was played in that tournament. No doubt about it. No doubt. Pros. Incredible. Lots and lots of Shout pros. Shout out Tough Juice. I'm texting him right now. <laughs> seven ten. What's good? Let's go. And then if they, and then if Maryland wins that, then I have a two point seven million dollar bet with uh, Justin Thomas. Correct. He said he doesn't play for the money, and then I said, well, then let's bet two point seven. He's like, yeah, you know, house money. Like house money, two point seven million house money. As
2: Colin Morikawa told us, that's a nice deposit that he's going to be getting tomorrow Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Wednesday. When
0: the direct deposit hits, it just Oof. hits different when it's two point seven. And, yeah. Was, wow all right super depressed about how rich we're not uh yeah let's just let's call it a day i probably have some reads i have to do now and we'll get ready i gotta fill out a bracket yes you do and i gotta text Karan butler y'all have a good one we'll see you next week